Hello, and welcome to another Malaspina podcast. In lieu of the holiday season, the theater department will be doing a live reading of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Act One, Marley's Ghost. Once upon a time, upon a Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew. Bah, humbug! Christmas a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Out upon Merry Christmas. (laughs) If I had my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding. He should. Uncle! Nephew, keep Christmas in your own way. And let me keep it in mind. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. Much good it has ever done you. I've always thought of Christmas time as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good. I say, God bless it. Good afternoon. And I'll keep Christmas humor, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. His nephew left the room without an angry word, but the clerk, in letting Scrooge's nephew out, had let two other people in. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, woman, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry either. I help to support the prisons and the, and the workhouses. They cost enough. And those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there. And many would rather die. If they would rather die, then they had better do it. The hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern and went home to a melancholy bed. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door of this house, except that it was very large. And yet Scrooge having the key in the lock of the door, saw the knocker, not a knocker, but Marley's face. Marley's face, with a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. As Scrooge looked at this, it was a knocker again. He said, Pooh! Pooh! and closed the door with a bang. (laughs) The sound resounded through the house like a thunder. Every room above, and every cask in the wine merchant's cellar below, appeared to have a separate peal of echoes of its own. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes. He fastened the door and walked across the hall and up the stairs. Up Scrooge went, not carrying a button for it being very dark. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. Quite satisfied, he closed the door, locked himself in, double-locked himself in, which was not his custom. 
Thus, secured against surprise, he put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap and sat down before the very low fire to take his gruel. As he threw his head back in the chair, his glance happened upon a bell, a disused bell that hung in the room. It was with great astonishment and with a strange dread that, as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. At first quiet, but soon it rang out loudly. And then so did every bell in the house. This was succeeded by a mysterious clanking noise. Deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. Then he heard the noise, much louder, on the floors below, then coming up the stairs, then straight towards the door. It came through the heavy door, and a specter passed into the room before his eyes, and upon its coming in, the dying flame leaped up as though it cried. I know him, Marley's ghost. What do you want with me? Much. Who, who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In my life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. The ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace, as if he were quite used to it. You don't believe in me. I don't. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. You may be an undisguised bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of undone potato. There's more of gravy than a grave about you, whatever you are. The spirit raised a frightful cry. Ooh. Mercy, mercy, dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? Why do spirits walk the earth and why do they come for me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. I cannot rest, I cannot stay, I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Mark me, in life my spirit never roved beyond our money-changing hole, and weary journeys lie before me. Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the spectre going on at this rate, and began to quake exceedingly. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance of hope and escaping my fate. You will be haunted by three spirits. Expect the first tomorrow night when the bell tolls one. Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to me no more. Scrooge tried to say humbug but stopped at the first syllable. <clears throat> at being from the emotion he had undergone or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, he went straight to bed without undressing and fell asleep on the instant. <laughs> Deck the halls with
with boughs of holly, fa la 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 la. Tis the season to be jolly, fa la 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 la. Don we now our day of peril, fa la 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 la. Troll the ancient Yuletide carol, fa la 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 la. Two, the first of three spirits. When Scrooge awoke, the church clock tolled a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Lights flashed up in the room upon an instant, and the curtains of the bed were drawn aside by a figure like a child. Are, are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was, was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood in the busy thoroughfares of the city. It was made plain enough by the dressing of the shops that here, too, it was Christmas time. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? I apprenticed here. They went in. At sight of an old gentleman in a Welsh wig, sitting behind such a high desk that, if he had been two inches taller, he must have knocked his head against the ceiling. Scrooge cried in great excitement. Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart, it's Fezziwig! Alive again! Yo-ho there! Ebenezer! Dick! A living and moving picture of Scrooge's former self, a young man, came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow prentice. Yo-ho, my boys! No more work tonight! Christmas Eve, Dick! Christmas, Ebenezer! Let's have the shutters up before a man can say Jack Robinson! Clear away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here! Clear away? There was nothing they wouldn't have cleared away or couldn't have cleared away with old Fezwig looking on. It was done in a minute. The warehouse was as snug and warm and dry and bright as a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. In came a fiddler with a music book and went up to the lofty desk and made an orchestra of it and tuned like 50 stomach aches. In came Miss Fezziwig, one vast smile. In came three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. And they all came one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling. In they all came, anyhow and everyhow. Away they all went, twenty couple at once, hands half round and back again the other way round, down the middle and up again, round and round, old top couple always turning up in the wrong place. When the clock struck eleven, this ball broke up. Mr. and Miss Fezziwig, shaking hands with every person as he or she went out, wished him or her a Merry Christmas. A small matter. To make these silly folks so full of gratitude, he has spent but a few pounds of your money. Three or four, perhaps? Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service pleasure or our toil. Say that his power lies in words and looks, 
and things impossible to add and count them up, what then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as it is a cost of fortune. Spirit, remove me from this pace. Haunt me no longer. As he struggled with the spirit, he was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness and further of being in his own bedroom. He had barely time to reel to bed before he slank, sank into a heavy sleep. It came upon a midnight clear That glorious song of old From angels bending near the earth To touch their harps of gold Peace on earth, good will to men From heaven's all-glorious King the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Act Three, the second of three spirits. Scrooge awoke in his bedroom. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove. The leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflected back in the light, and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney, heaped on the floor to form a kind of throne, where turkeys, geese, great joints of meat, pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oyster, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, great bowls of punch, and immense twelve cakes. Upon this couch there sat a giant glorious to see who bore a glowing torch. Come in, come in. Know me better, man. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. You have never seen the likes of me before. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held it fast. The room and its contents all vanished instantly, and they stood in the city streets upon a snowy Christmas morning. Scrooge and the ghost passed on, invisible, straight to Scrooge's clerks, and on the threshold of the door the spirit smiled and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sparklings of his torch. Then rose up Mrs. Cratchit. Whatever has got your precious father, then, and your brother, Tiny Tim? No, no, there's father, father coming, cried the two young Cratchits, who were everywhere at once. In came Bob, the father, the threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas, for Tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch and had limbs supported by an iron frame. And how did little Tim behave? Ah, as good as gold and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much. He thinks the strangest things you've ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple, and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Master Peter and the two young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high precision. Miss Cratchit made the gravy, 
ready beforehand with a little saucepan, hissing hot. Master Peter mashed the potatoes with incredible vigor. Miss Belinda sweetened the applesauce. Martha dusted the hot plates. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table. And the two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody, not forgetting themselves, and crammed spoons into their mouths, lest they should shriek for goose before their turn came to be helped. At last, the dishes were set and grace was said. It was succeeded by a breathless pause as Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carved knife, prepared to plunge it into the breast. But when she did, when the long-expected gush of stuffing issued forth, one murmur of delight arose all around the board. Mmm! And even Tiny Tim... Excited by the two young Cratchits, beat on the table with the handle of his knife and feebly cried, Hurrah! But now, the plates being changed by Miss Belinda, Miss Cratchit left the room alone to take the pudding up and bring it in. Miss Cratchit entered, smiling proudly with the pudding, like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a cordon of ignited brandy and bedlight with Christmas holly stuck on the top. Oh, a wonderful pudding! At last, the dinner was all done, the cloth was cleared, the, the, the heath swept, and the fire made up. Then, all the Cratchit family drew around the heath while the chest chestnuts of the fire sputtered and crackled noisily. They were happy, grateful, pleased, with one another, and contented with the time. When they faded, they looked happier yet in the bright sparklings of the spirit's torch at parting. Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim, until the last. But the whole scene passed off, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw, and far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. Suddenly, as they stood together in an open place, the bell struck. Twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it no more. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley and, lifting up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist among the ground towards him. Act 4. The Last of the Spirits Ghost of the future, I, I fear you're, you're more than any specter I've seen. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on, lead on! The night is waning fast. It is precious time to me. I, I know. Lead on, spirit. Lead on! They scarcely seemed to enter the city, for the city rather seemed to spring up about them. But then, there they were, in the heart of it, amongst the merchants. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen, absor observing that the hand was pointed to them. Scrooge advanced and listened to their talk. Mm, 
I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. Well, when did he die? Mm, last night, I believe. What has he done with his money? I haven't heard. Company, perhaps? He hasn't left it to me. That's, that's all I know. The scene had changed, and now he almost touched a bare, uncurtained bed. A pale light, rising in the outer air, fell straight upon the bed, and on it, unwatched, unkept, uncared for, was the body of this unknown man. Spirit, let me see some tenderness connected with a death, or this dark chamber. Spirit will be forever present to me. The ghost conducted him to poor Bob Cratchit's house, the dwelling he had visited before, and found the mother and the children seated round the fire. Quiet, very quiet. The noisy little Cratchits were as still as statues in one corner and sat looking upon Peter, who had looked before them. The mother and her daughters were engaged in needlework, but surely they were very quiet. The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. The color hurts my eyes. They're better now again. It makes them weak by candlelight. And I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. It must be near his time. Past it, rather. But I think he's, he's walked a little slower than he used to these past few evenings, Mother. I have known him walk with... I have known him walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder very fast indeed. But he was very light to carry, and his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble. And there is your father at the door. She hurried out to meet him, and Bob came in. His tea was ready for him, and they all tried who should help him most to do it most. Then the two young Cratchits got upon his knees and laid each child a little cheek against his face, as if they said, Don't mind it, Father. Don't be grieved. Bob was very cheerful with them and spoke pleasantly to all the family. He looked at the work upon the table and praised Mrs. Cratchit and the girls. You went today, then, Robert? Uh, yes, my dear. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green the place is. But you'll see it often. I promised him that I would walk there on Sunday, my little, little child. My little child. Spectre, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I not know how. Tell me where that man was, with the covered face, whom he saw lying dead. The ghost, a Christmas yet to come, conveyed to him a dismal, wretched, ruinous churchyard. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed with a bony finger down to one. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went, following the finger, read upon the stone of the neglective grave his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I that man who lay upon the bed? No, spirit! Oh, no, no, spirit! Hear me! I'm not the man I was! I'm not the man I must have been. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. Oh, tell me, spirit. I may sponge away the writing on this stone. Spirit, tell me. 
Holding up his hand in one last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. Yes, and the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own. To make amends in. He was checking his transports by the churches, ringing out the lustrous peals he had ever heard. Running to the window, he opened it and put out his head. No fog, no mist, no night, clear, bright, stirring, golden day. What's today? cried Scrooge, calling down to a boy in Sunday clothes. Eh? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Why, Christmas Day! It's Christmas Day? I haven't missed it. Hello, my fine fellow! Hello! Do you know the polterers? In the next street, but one at the corner. I should hope I did. Ah, an intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. Do you know whether they sold the prize turkey that was hanging up in there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one. What? The one as big as me? What a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck. It's hanging there now. It is. Go and buy it. Walker? No, no, I am in earnest. Go and buy it. And tell them to bring it here that I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. <laughs> Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. The boy was off like a shot. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit. Ah, she shan't know who sends it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. Scrooge dressed himself in all in his best and at last got out into the streets. The people were by this time pouring forth as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present and, walking with his hands behind him, Scrooge regarded everyone with a delightful smile. He looked so irresistibly pleasant in a word that three or four good-humored fellows said, Good morning, morning, sir. sir. A A Merry Merry Christmas Christmas to you. He was early at the office the next morning. If he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming in late. The, The clock struck nine. No Bob. A quarter past. No Bob. Bob was full 18 minutes and a half behind his time. Bob's hat was off before he opened the door. He was on the stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen, as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Hello. What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I- I'm, I'm very sorry, sir. I- I'm behind my time. You are? <laughs> yes, I think you are. Step this way, if you please. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I'm not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer, and therefore, I'm about to raise your salary. Bob trembled. A Merry Christmas, Bob. As he clapped him on the back. A Merry Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, that I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other city, town, or borough in the old good world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him. 
But his heart, his own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. May that truly be said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone! <laughs> <laughs>